Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. It has gone beyond brisk and is actually cold out there. And this, this hat, because of my lack of insulation on top, becomes much more of a necessity than an accessory. Okay, so I'm going to leave my hat on, if you don't mind. Well, I thank you for this opportunity, and I have to have some participation by kids. I'm at least glad we got some kids here today. Daniel, Samuel, I'm talking to you. Well, not, you don't have to come up here yet, but I'll tell you when you can. So, we're entering a new year, and, and there's a lot of promise and hope for a new year, and, and a lot of people look forward to it and stuff. And there's a lot of different New Year's traditions throughout the world. The first one I want to talk about is from Greece. Now, Daniel, do you want to come up here? So in Greece, they take an onion. Do you want an onion? Well, why don't you can take it to someone that wants it, okay? And they take an onion and they hang it on the door because you know a lot of times when you have a an onion in your vegetable bin, it'll start growing and some something like that. Just because when you're not paying attention, it just grows. And the thought is, if they hang an onion on the door, prosperity may come to them when they're least looking for it. Okay, so that's what they do in Greece. In the Philippines. They have a tradition that I'm really glad we don't do here. No, not yet, Daniel. In the Philippines, they open their doors and their windows to let the old year out and the new year in. So if we did that today, we would be rather chilly. Okay, so I'm glad, I'm glad we're not doing that. In now, Daniel and Samuel, can you, you can come up here. They have another tradition in Spain and in Spain, I'll give you each two of these, okay? There's 12 grapes in each of these bags, okay? In Spain, so you, you get to eat one and give one to somebody else, okay? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, so go ahead and give them to somebody else. But in Spain, at the stroke of midnight, they eat these grapes, and they call them las, las doce uvas de la suerte, which is the 12 grapes of luck. And they try and eat all 12 grapes before the, the clock ends its 12 chimes. If they don't, they say you could have bad luck. So people always, always eat the 12 grapes quickly. Did, did they share them with somebody else? Somebody else got grapes? Okay. Just making sure. Then in um, Turkey, they have a tradition with a pomegranate. Sammy, you want to come up here? I want, I want you to give this, this pomegranate to somebody, okay? Give that to somebody else. Okay, so what they do with the pomegranate is they put it on their front doorstep and they smash it. And the farther the pieces fly and the more pieces there are, the more prosperity you will have that year. And as an additional tradition, they put a little bit of salt on the doorsteps. 
and that's supposed to bring peace. Okay, so different traditions. One we participated in when we lived in Ecuador is called, they have what is called an effigy. And they take the clothing, you know, like the jackets and pants of people, and they stuff them full of sawdust and straw and firecrackers. And then they, then they put a mask on them, and it's supposed to be a mask of, of someone that represents something they kind of want to forget in the past year. And one of the years we were down there, there were a whole lot of George Bush masks on the face. And, and then at midnight, they take those effigies and they burn them. And, and you can imagine with the fire going and the fireworks and everything, it's kind of exciting. But the idea is to, you're putting something in your past, something from the past year you want to forget so that you ha don't bring that into the new year with you. Okay? So that's, those are just different traditions they have in the world. And we, we did the ones in um, Ecuador, and we've done the ones with grapes just for fun. But I, in looking at this and preparing, I found a New Year's Day prayer that I think we can all appreciate, okay? It goes like this. Dear Lord, so far this year, I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm probably going to need your help. <laughs> and then there's an, another um, New Year's prayer, and this applies to me and anybody else that might consider themselves el elderly. It says, God, grant me the senility to forget the people that I never liked anyway, <laughs> the good fortune to run into the ones that I do like, and the eyesight to tell the difference. So one of, the, one of the traditions that we have in our culture are New Year's resolutions, right? Hey, Daniel or Samuel, can either of you guys tell me what a resolution is, a New Year's resolution? Do you make a resolution? You don't make a resolution? You want to tell me what it is? Come up here. What what do you what what is a resolution? Uh, I don't know. Is it a, like a promise or anything? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so it's kind of like a promise. Okay, it's a firm decision to do something, to do something usually to better your life, right? Have you guys ever? Has anybody here ever made a resolution? A couple of you. Yeah, probably most of us at some point or another. I had a an, uh, conversation with my daughter Alex last weekend when she was here. It was, it was um, the Saturday, just this past Saturday, so right before New Year's. And she said to me, she said, my goal for next year is I'm not going to get mad. And I thought, well, I said, that's a really good goal, I said, but it's probably not really realistic. I said, you know, God gave us anger. It's one of our emotions, and sometimes we get angry. I said, maybe you should turn that around and say, when I do get angry, I'm going to handle it differently, or something like that. 
She said, oh. And then she said, and my other goal is to be happy all of the time. <laughs> and I said, well, that's good too, but it wasn't, it's not really realistic because we just, it's hard to be happy all the time. I said, maybe you should make a goal and say, I have a plan to be happier this year than last year, or something like that. She said, oh, so then New Year's Eve, we took her back to her host family on, on that Sunday, and her host mom called us that evening and said she had already had a meltdown. So, you know, about, but it wasn't the New Year, so maybe she's still been happy all New Year, I don't know. But in the, in the, the Forbes does a, a, um, re, a survey of some of the resolutions that are being made by people. And this year, um, does anybody want to guess what the number one resolution is? Similar. It's, it's improved fitness. 48% pe 48 of the people want to do improved fitness. 38% want to improve their finances. 36% want to improve their mental health. 34% want to lose weight. And 32% want to improve their diet. There's some less popular ones, like um, some people want to do more traveling, like 6%. Some want to meditate regularly, 5%. Some want to drink less alcohol, that's 3%. And some want to perform better at work, that's also 3%. Okay? But if you find yourself kind of setting lofty goals for New Year's, only to find yourself falling off the wagon months or even weeks later, you're not alone. In fact, falling off New Year's resolutions, it's so common there, there's a whole bunch of unofficial dates to commemorate that. Um, the Ditch New Year's Day, Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day is January 17th, okay? <laughs> and, and the second Friday in January is also called the Quitter's Day. So if anybody needs to quit, on those are good days. They found that the, the average resolution lasts 3.7 months. Okay, 8% of respondents stuck with their goals for one month, 22% for two months, 22% for three months, and then 13 for four months and on down. And they found that if you have an action-oriented goal, you are more likely to follow that goal and meet that goal than if you had an avoidance-oriented goal. For instance, if you had a, a goal to exercise more, you're more likely to follow that than if you had a goal that said, I'm going to quit smoking, okay? So just, just some interesting facts and figures. And where, where do we find resolutions in the Bible? Does anybody know? Well, I did a little looking, and a lot of times when we, when we make a resolution, we say, like, I will do this, or I will do that, right? Well, the little phrase, I will, occurs quite a few times in the Bible. Anybody want to guess how many times? Many, yeah. 1,635 times in the ESV version. That's quite a few. Sometimes 
it's God saying, I will. Some, one time or a couple times, it's Satan saying, I will. And other times, it's when men are saying, I will. And so we're going to look at just a few of those, okay? So the first one I want to look at <clears throat> is, is found in 1 Samuel. And it's 1 Samuel 1. It says, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah, his wife, did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman, woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So this lady... She said, I will bring him. She made a, a resolution to bring him to the service of the Lord, and she did. So that's really commendable. We have sometimes, and, and that, that um, probably was longer than two weeks that her resolution lasted. Okay? Then later on in Samuel, here's a good story that probably all of you know. And even Daniel and Samuel, you guys probably know this story well. It's the story of David and Goliath. Right? You know that story? Good. And this is found in 1 Samuel 17, if you want to follow along. 1 Samuel 17, verse 41 is where I'm going to start. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine, when they're referring to the Philistine, of course, this is Goliath. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give, you flesh, give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So Goliath made a resolution that he will kill David. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will Give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will, he will give you into our hands. 
So both Goliath and David made a resolution to kill the other. Now, Daniel, do you want to come up here a minute? Daniel? Samuel, do you want to come up here? Okay, one of you. Okay, do you know how, how old do you think Daniel was when he killed, or David was when he killed Goliath? Two years old? Well, probably a little bit older than that. That would be pretty small to be killing a big giant like that. Do you know how big Goliath was? Uh, 4.7. 4.7. Can you double that? So he was, you see that, you see the line up above the door where it goes from white to the brown wood? You don't see the line? So where it goes to the wood, there's the door, then there's the white, and then there's the brown trim. So the Goliath was about that high. And David, thank you, you can go sit down now. David was, we think, about 13 to 15 years old. So if you can imagine a 13 to 15-year-old boy even facing a giant like that, and the resolution that David had to even be able to go in front of him, that he, he had such a faith and such a strength in the Lord that many of us today can't even fathom to be able to face a giant like that. But he did, and he prevailed. And again, both men resolved that they would kill the other, that only one that depended upon God was successful. Then a little later on in Samuel, in chapter 18, it says, Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Merib, I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should be given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholothite, for a wife. So here's a man who made a resolution, didn't follow through with it. He purposely didn't follow through with it. So, so all these resolutions may or may not come to anything, but we got to remember it's a promise. A resolution is a promise. Then we get to one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I just love this story because... It's just against all odds and cool things happen, but it's the story of Elijah. And Daniel and Samuel, do you guys know the story of Elijah? No? You don't? I think we've talked about it over there. No? We never have? You mean I've never told you guys about my favorite story in the Bible? No. Boy, I'm a failure, huh? We'll have to tell you sometime about it, okay? Well, I'll tell you the short version today. So this is in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 20. And it says, So Ahab, who was king at the time, sent all the people of Israel to get, and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. And the people did not answer. They didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I 
Even I only am the left prophet of the Lord, and Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and then, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers is by fire is the God. So he said, I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken. Then Elijah went to the prophets of Baal. Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from the morning until noon. They were saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar and they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud. For he is God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be wakened. Then they cried aloud and cut themselves and after their custom with swords and lances and the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation and there was no voice no one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come, come near to me. And all the people came near him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now, Daniel and Samuel, what happens if you put water on something? It doesn't burn, right. Very good, especially spoken from a fireman's son, right? He said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. So the second time, they poured water all over the fire, all over the, the offering. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, which is an evening temple sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings, and the wood, and the stones, 
and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So Elijah said, I will call on the name of the Lord. Again, this is a man who depended upon the Lord. And so his resolution was carried out. There's one resolution in the Bible I found. I didn't search this a lot, but it's a resolution by Satan. And it was during Jesus' temptation. And it's in Matthew 4, 9. And Satan said to Jesus, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Talking about all the nations of the earth. And so can we believe a promise from Satan? Not at all, because he is a liar. He's the father of lies. Nothing he says is true. So it's amazing that Jesus even was listening to him, you know. He probably broke out in laughter or something. But then there's several resolutions in the Bible that are made either by Jesus or by God. In Exodus 6, chapter 6, verse 6, it's, there's like five resolutions by God in this one little passage. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So God promised them. And do you think God's promises come true? Absolutely. We can all, any of the resolutions by God, we can always bet they're going to come true. Then in Matthew, Jesus had a, a, um, spoke a re resolution. This was when he first met Peter. This is in Matthew um, chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we know that he made Peter a mighty apostle. He made him a fisher of men. So that's one by Jesus. Another one. There was a, a sick man came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man had leprosy. In Matthew 8, it's Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleared. So as we enter a new year, perhaps some of you have made resolutions. Some of you haven't. But I hope if you are not already in the, the um, habit of daily reading your Bible, I would hope that that one might be one of the resolutions. I would hope that that becomes a priority in your life. There's a lot of different reading plans available if you're not sure where to start. Probably the simplest reading plan is from front cover to back cover. 
okay? And that, the first time I read the Bible through, that was what I did, front to back. And, and there's some parts in there that are a little difficult to read, but I'll guarantee you, if you read the Bible more than one time, you will find a new revelation each time you read it. And new phrases stick out to you. New stories stick out to you. It becomes new to you because of your willingness to get to know the Word of God. So there's a lot of different plans. And, and some of them, there's another one where they, they have um, a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from Psalms, and a reading from New Testament every day. And they, this plan has you going through the Bible in a year. And many of the plans do have you going through the Bible in a year, which is great. Another one I would highly suggest, after you've read the Bible once cover to cover, I would suggest you go through and read the Bible chronologically. Okay? And, and you may think, well, it is chronological. Well, it is as far as Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end, but there's not a lot of chronological order in a lot of the books. And the whole, by reading it chronologically, you get a much better grasp, at least I did, of the history of the Jewish people and the history of our faith and how deep and how rich our faith is. And it gives you just a new appreciation when you read it chronologically. And you'll be skipping, you know, you'll read the first five books of the Bible and then you'll probably go to Job and then you'll go uh, through the the um, Chronicles and see how Chronicles parallels with Kings and how all the different prophets ties into Chronicles and Kings. And so it's really, really a good way to get a grasp of the history. And there's a lot of other different plans that I can, that you can find online. But I would just, ha just encourage you to read. Find something and read. And you don't have to read the whole Bible in a year. I've done it a couple times and, and it's fine. But I find that right now, the last couple times I've read through it, I just read 15 to 20 minutes a day. And I have this, this is a uh, ESV study Bible. And I not only read the scripture, but I read all of the notes. And those notes can be very, very um, enlightening. And it tells, it might give you the definitions of words that you didn't know or it might give you some of the culture that was going on, some of the practices of the people. And the notes are very, very helpful. For instance, I recently, in, in this Bible, was reading through John. And when they talk about the, the crowd of people during Jesus' trial, and they asked for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus, does anybody know what the word Barabbas means? It means son of the father. Isn't that ironic that the people, the mob, wanted to release the son of the father when they had the son of the father on trial? Pretty amazing. And just those kind of things are really they're really good and useful in the notes. And so I usually, it usually takes me about two years to go through a Bible reading front to back or however I, I read it, but that's usually 15 to 20 minutes a day. And by reading the notes, you just get a, a, a deeper understanding and a, a passion for it. And if you get in the habit of reading your Bible, 
you'll get to a point where you love it. And if you miss a day, you just think, oh man. It, and, and for me, and this may be true for some of you, but for me, if I don't do it first thing in the morning, I mean, well, first thing I let the dogs out. And then, then I sit down and I have my water and my tea and I do my Bible reading. And if I don't do it first thing in the day, it's a lot harder to get it done later on. So I would suggest that you guys find a time of day to set aside, to be quiet, and read your Bible. And make, it can make all the difference. Um, let's see here. There's one other story I wanted to talk about, about a resolution. And this story involves um, Peter. You know, he was called, he was born and given the name Simon, and then Jesus changed it to Peter. We know more about Peter than several of the other apostles. He was outspoken, he was excitable, he was headstrong, he might have been a little bit um, of a hothead, you might say. Yeah, a hothead. You know, he'd speak before thinking. Has anybody ever done that, speak before thinking? Yeah. Your, your foot in your mouth kind of syndrome. He was known for that. He sometimes told Jesus what to do, right? Which, yeah, right, the creator of the universe telling him what to do. He's, he often said foolish things, you know, just spoke quickly and said foolish things. He was weak in the flesh, but he was strong in spirit. He was committed to Christ. But sometimes his weak flesh took over and caused him to do something he regretted later. For instance, when Jesus, just before Jesus was arrested and, and he went into the garden to pray, and he asked um, Peter to stay with him and pray, what happened? He fell asleep. And it's interesting, this one note was saying that often when when um, Peter would do some bonehead thing like that or some silly thing like that, Jesus would call him Simon. But when he did something, you know, really spiritual and really uplifting, really cool, he called him Peter. So I thought that was kind of neat. Peter was not very consistent. He would, he would uh, have great success or great faith one minute, and then that was followed by a failure. One example of that was when uh, they were in the boat out on the lake and Jesus came walking towards them. And this story is in Matthew 14. And Peter said to the Lord, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Peter was like us in many ways, right? He had successes and he had failures. He had some very good strengths. 
He was passionate. He was excited to learn more about Jesus, and he wanted to be close to Jesus. When, when he went up on the mountain with James and John and Jesus up and did the transfiguration, Peter says, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He's kind of um, excitable and just wanted to do something, do anything. He was passionate about the Lord, and he wanted to stay there with that Lord in that moment of time. Peter was committed. He may have fallen at some times, but he was committed to Christ. He gave up his career, his business, his successful fishing business, and he left home to follow and serve Christ. Even though he was married, which would have been very difficult, he left home to follow Christ. And then when, uh, during Jesus' resurrection, he was one of the first ones that got to the tomb. He raced ahead and stuck his head in, you know, because he was excited and wanted, he was committed to Christ. But there's one time when there was a major failure on Peter's part. And I want to focus a little bit on that. And this comes from two Gospels. The first part is from Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they may fall away, I will not, meaning they, the other disciples. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must, and this was Peter speaking, said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So all of these disciples made a resolution to stick with Jesus no matter what, even if it meant their death. But you know the story as it goes, and they, they arrested Jesus, and, and later on in that evening, in Luke chapter 22, 54, it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat, in the light and looking closely at him said, uh, this man was with him. But he denied it, saying, women, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, ma'am, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately 
While he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then this is the, this is the line that really hit me when I most recently read it. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So did you hear that? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Have any of you kids ever been, or as an adult, have you ever been caught in a lie? And you know you're lying, and the person knows you're lying, and you know the person knows you're lying. It's kind of an awkward situation, isn't it? Can you even imagine what Peter was thinking at that point in time? His rabbi, his friend, his companion for the past few years, the man he had sworn to defend only hours before, turned and looked at him. Jesus had predicted that failure. Peter had brushed it off like, nah, that'll never happen. I'm, I'm too, too strong and I'll follow you no matter what. The other disciples also said that they'd stay strong, but they, they didn't. Jesus turned and looked at him. When that happens to you, when that happens to us, we can only imagine the horrible thoughts of the person we let down. We can see it in their eyes, their sadness, their disappointment. But we have to remember, when we fail, beyond the sadness and disappointment of Jesus' eyes, there's something much deeper, much more piercing, more unbelievable. There's love and there's forgiveness. I think any parent could tell you that even though they see their child fail in their attempt to become better, even though their child is crushed by their own failure, the parent still does, the parent still does not love the child any less. They may even feel more deeply for the child because they have the eyes of Jesus and they look at him with love and forgiveness. So it is with God. No matter our failures, no matter our disappointments, no matter our disappointments on our own actions, no matter our feelings of unworthiness, the only eyes we see when we look at our Savior is our eyes of compassion, compassion, forgiveness, and love. God wants the best for us. He always loves. He always forgives. He always wants the best for us. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of sums it up well. The love chapter says, Love is patient and kind, 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So as we embark upon this new year, full of promise and hope, I'd encourage you all to a deeper relationship with Jesus through the daily reading of Scripture. And if there's a failure, remember that the eyes of Jesus are always on you, but they're always filled with love and forgiveness. Okay? okay? I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward and the servers for communion, and I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor Kevin. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love to listen to John preach and teach. And he has a really, just a real man of God <laughs> and with a very stubborn love for Jesus. And uh, thank you for sharing. So I feel like that, that was a word that you might want to hear again and you might want to share with someone else. You know that you can find this on YouTube and we have a podcast also. And We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.